This is Morning Joel with Sister Ignatia from the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. Morning Joel is a production of Spoke Street Media. Wake up! Well, hello everybody. We are here again with Sister Joan. Hello. This is not to compare to everybody else that I talk to, but I feel like there's a little element of excitement when you and I get to talk. And it's recorded, you know? It's just fun. It brings me excitement. <laughs> that, is, that is for certain. I'm glad it's a, it's a mutual emotion. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and for those of you who are listening now, if you haven't listened, the last time Sister Joan and I were talking, we talked about music, a shared mm-hmm. interest. Yes. We haven't recorded any of our musical debates. No. Maybe that'll be another another time. Another time. Yeah, we don't agree on everything. Just, well, that's good. But that's good. Yes. Yeah, we can appreciate perspective. Yeah, exactly. So today we're here, a new day, a new art form, a deeper look into Sister Joan, middle school English grammar teacher that you never knew. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, something something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what was the question I posed to you? Oh, the most meaningful? I think most meaningful was the way it was phrased. Yes. It was the most meaningful books. And I don't feel that Fiction books have drastically formed me, but they definitely make an impact and like make mm. you, they make you ask things that help you become a better person. So yeah. I can't say this book made me do this or that story mm-hmm. made me do that, but it's made me say, I want to be like that or not be like that. Mm-hmm. Or I think you can even say that fiction could increase your relationship with Christ because yeah. you see what people do not in real life. And so you feel comfortable talking about yourself because if it's written well enough, it yes. could might as well have been real life. So Yeah. So, yeah. And like the power of story to like stick with you. I mean, yeah, we all have like Mm -hmm. really special like theology books that enlighten us, draw us closer to Jesus Mm -hmm. and everything. But yeah, the power of a story, like that you can place yourself in like this, what would I do here? Like, yeah. Yes, yes. Or I can understand why that person did whatever. Mm. And the master teacher, Christ, Mm -hmm. used parables himself. So there's something about stories that help us to see things that we can't see in a nonfiction context, Mm -hmm. which is... A mystery and a, maybe another topic for another day, but but yeah, Jordan Peterson talks about that a lot, about mm. you know, the myth and the story and yeah. ultra meanings and stuff like that, but that's his world and not mine. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take a dive yes. into your world. So the three, let's just list them off, the titles and authors of the three most meaningful books sure. that, you're, that we're going to talk about. And I would say this is an order from highest to lowest. I would say okay. A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens followed by a short story for Esme with Love and Squalor by J.D. Salinger. And then finally, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene would be my top three. Wow. And I'm excited because I get to talk to people that open me up to things that I've never experienced. So spoiler, I've never read any of these. But we were talking before and we thought like, for those of you who uh, you feel like to be a good Catholic, you need to read Flannery Mm O'Connor and you just can't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. We we can't do it either. Yes. So <laughs> she is hard to read. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's some suggestions. So yeah, like open. Yeah, see what you, you think. So yes. First. So yes, to, a tale of two cities. Yeah. I read it when I was in high school, and I shared with you earlier. Aside from Don Quixote, this is the best-selling fiction book of all time, like some 200 million copies. Wow. Which like, well, that makes me feel good. At least I'm reading something that everyone else agrees with. Or is that a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. But yes, A Tale of Two Cities is, you know, London and mm-hmm, France. It's mm-hmm. set in the time of the French Revolution, before and during the French Revolution. 
And it's very complex in that, you know, what happens in the beginning of the book, you think it's just, you know, part of the plot, but then what happens in the beginning of the book comes back and makes an impact later. Like Ooh. what happens in like, you know, book one makes an impact in book three. And you're like, oh, we thought that was just, wow, that was just filler. But no, it shows that Dickens really thought about what he was going mm-hmm. to say. I'm probably butchering these names because they're anglicized <laughs> French, but there's a woman, Lucy. It always begins with a woman. And mm. she is married to a Frenchman, Darnay, I believe is his name. Yes, Darnay. And then they are in love, but Darnay's from like a rich background in France, and the rich are not very popular in France mm. at the time. And so one reason for another, he has to go back to France. He's in England. Darnay has to go back to France and try to save something, but then it turns out that there's someone that needs saved. So he tries to go save that someone, ends up getting arrested because his ancestor did something wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, but his ancestor did something wrong and in the mob mentality, you know, not good. And so a good friend of his who is, you know, he kind of discouraged, doesn't know what he's doing with his life, thinks he's a failure. They look alike, similar to mm. each other. And so, spoilers, if we didn't say it already, I think they're oh, going right. to happen There's going to the, be them all over the place. They're going to be all over. <laughs> his friend substitutes himself for his friend. He drugs his friend, has his friend carted out so that he can be with his wife and his children, and then he dies in his friend's place. So he's like, he finally found a purpose ah. for himself. <sighs> yeah. And so, you know, everyone knows the tale of two sittings. It was the best of times. It was mm-hmm. the worst of times. Like, that's... But then... The last line is, I think, even better. The last line is, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. And so it's like, in dying, he finds life, which Mm. is, I mean, a Christian motif. Come Mm. on, yes. Mm -hmm. So I would say that would be the basic plot of A Tale of Two Cities. What do you remember when you were reading it the first time? Like, what were some of like the... The yeah. big moments or like thought-provoking question that it brought up for yeah. you. I thought before reading this book that if you read one, you read them all. Like Oliver mm-hmm. Twist, poor guy, he makes it. Uh, great expectations. Oh, yay, he made it. David Copper, okay, okay yeah. all these things. And so I, when I was going to read A Tale of Two Cities, I'm like, oh, we got this typical story. Mm-hmm. But it was it's very different from any other of Dickens' works as far as I know. I've clearly not read them all because they're mm-hmm. very long anyway. And so I was expecting the the same old story, but didn't get it. And so it like the intensity of excitement, like there's, you know, murder very early on. There's, and so you're like, well, well, why did that happen? And why did this happen? And so the reader is trying to like wrap their head around like what's going on. Like the woman's doctor, you know, maniacally makes shoes when he's like in a repressed state. And you're like, well, what's going on? Well, he was a prisoner in France and shoemaking is what he did in prison. And then whenever he has trauma, he goes back and he maniacally makes shoes. And so it's like, oh my gosh, that's like so sad and so intense. But it's like, there was a couple of th- like whenever the doctor goes back to making shoes, you're like, oh no, oh no, he's making shoes. It's like of all the things to get worried about at shoemaking. But <laughs> I guess that's English humor for you or I don't know, English fixation. But but yeah, it's like these odd, odd things that have an actual, mm. like when they're explained, it's like, actually, that's a very plausible sad thing that is yeah. happening. Yeah. Would you call it like a... Does it read like a mystery, would you say, or something I, like to, that? To me, it does. Maybe more of a survival story because it's mm. not like there are mysteries in it to be solved, but it's more like, is Darnay going to get out alive? Because, yeah. you know, he's a good character. Um, he has escaped, like his family, like he kind of admits like his family is not the most righteous family. His ancestors did horrible mm-hmm. things, but he doesn't want to be a part of that. That's the whole reason he left. Mm. 
And so he just wants to survive because he has a beautiful, happy life in England. And then trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. got himself in trouble with, you know, the right. new society that mm-hmm. France is evolving into at the moment. So it's more of like, a, is he going to make it sort of thing? So it's kind of like more of a thriller than a okay. than a mystery read, but definitely some yeah, overlaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I feel like, I don't know if I share this sentiment with other people, but I did read Great Expectations. Okay. And that was a big leap of faith into mm. Charles Dickens because mm. I just felt like anything he wrote would be, is just like intimidating or like, mm. oh, I don't know if I'll, I'll get it. You know, like so many people talk uh, of it and it's such a hallmark like piece of yes. literature that mm-hmm. like, I don't think I, you know, so I almost feel like I view, I can view this book that way too. Like, what would you uh, say to somebody that's like just an intimidated right off the bat and be like, no, 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 I that's see. not for me. Read the first three chapters. Like if you can like put down after chapter three and be like, eh, I don't really care, then you're correct. <laughs> but like, <laughs> if you can't get through the first three chapters and not be interested. Mm. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of Pascal's wager, like read the first three chapters okay. and see what happens in literary form. <laughs> okay. So you're so, a little challenge. So yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just like, not all books do this. Some books take a while to get into and it's done on purpose and it can be effective, but my heavens, this is, this is the total opposite. Wow. And I mean, Dickens is a good prose writer. Yeah. So like some people could give an expert analysis on the type of prose. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not there, but like the descriptions are beautiful without being to Tolkien, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and just very alluring. Of course, the setting mm-hmm. always reflects the mood of the characters and what Ooh. you should be thinking, you know, wow. that sort of romantic idea. So just masterful writing pulls you right in. Okay. And then the characters are likable but have flaws. They're not static characters. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that does well. Okay, book number one. Book number one, yes. Book number two. Book number two, it's actually, if I may be technical, a short story. Oh, please. But yes. Or pardon me, yes. Yes, Not it a is book. a book. It's a it's a short story, but it probably will take anyone maybe 15 minutes to read it. It's uh, maybe an 11-page PDF. <laughs> <laughs> if you, you could search it online for free. So I tried to read A Catcher in the Rye, and I couldn't get past the first couple pages. So like if I would do mm-hmm. the Tale of Two Cities things with Catcher in the Rye, I wouldn't make it because... God's name has taken so much uh, mm-hmm. in the first. And then I skip ahead and read later on and it's not happening there. But I'm like, well, why does he have to start out with all this? You know, yeah. so I I, did, I just didn't feel comfortable. So I was reading an anthology of short stories and I come across this where I'm like, hmm, J.D. Salinger, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And then I was totally blown away because I had, so I had this bias, this implicit yeah. bias is, is, the, <laughs> is the folksy term now. I had this implicit bias just because of the author. And so... Basic plot, there's a man who is living in America and his wife says, hey, there's this random woman who's getting married in England. It's a wedding invitation. He says, oh, I'd like to go. She says, but wait, your mother-in-law's coming. You can't go. And he says, darn, I can't go. And then it's the backstory of how he met this this girl. Turns out this man in the story, the the main character is in England. He's an intelligent, so quasi-spy-like mm-hmm. work. And so while he's in England, before he goes over into the thick and the gnarly of the battle, he's getting trained and prepped and intelligicized. He goes out into town, you know, bored, listless, lonely, whatever. And there's a young girl and her younger brother who are there with their nanny going about pretty much doing the same thing. And she notices the soldier and comes over despite the, you know, Mm -hmm. nanny saying, come back, whatever, she goes over. (laughs) I think she tries to represent innocence like a confident, spunky more mature than her age, but still very much an immature mm-hmm. 10 or 11-year-old girl, however old she is. Turns out her father has died in the war. There's at one point where she says, our father was S-L-A-I-N. So she doesn't freak her younger brother out because it's still traumatic. But like she's intelligent. Yeah. But, you know, 
he captures the childness wow. of her very well. Okay. So it turns out she says, well, why don't I write you a letter sometime? I'm a very good person with correspondence. You'll, I'll have you know. And so <laughs> fine, whatever. So he thinks it's cute. He gives mm-hmm. her her address where she'll be going. And then scenery change. And then all of the stuff I didn't like about Catcher in the Rye okay. came back. God's name being used in vain all the time, swearing, just all of this darkness. And I mm. almost gave up. But I'm like, mm. so like, what Oops. is he trying to yeah. say with all of this grit and all of this repugnance? And so I start to read a little more closely, and I realize that this person is pretty much experiencing PTSD. Like everything his friend says that's positive, he shoots it down as negative and curses mm. and swears it out. The more you read, the more you realize that this soldier's closer and closer and closer to despair. And mm. it seems to me that he's ready to pop himself, that he's ready to just end it all with a gun because it's just too much to deal with. Mm. And then... What does he get in the mail that very second but a letter from this girl, Esme? Mm. And like her personality comes out. She says, I'm so sorry it took me 38 whole days to write to you. But, <laughs> and so her personality just wow. comes out. Her, she actually, as a token of goodwill, sent her father's watch. I hope it doesn't get damaged in the mail, but just to let you know. So, like mm. a, a token of goodwill. After reading that, he said he read it several times, like read it over and over mm. and over again before he put it away. And that's basically how the story ends. And so we realize that this girl just saved his life mm. through writing a letter and being kind to him and just being herself, really being herself, like being a child that the child God created her to be. So, yeah. So even though there was, yeah, you get this like peer into the darkness that he was dealing mm-hmm. with. And then maybe that like shimmer of a memory of like the delight he had in this like innocent yes. girl. Yes. Comes back and like brings yes. him back to like. Yes. It's the darkness real. was not dark enough mm, mm. that he couldn't be saved. It's like, yes. And wow. then it's just like this 11 year old girl who's, who talks way too much and is you know, ostentatious. Yeah. And I think we can all probably think of an 11 year old girl <laughs> like yes. that. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. They're going to bless somebody. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. And I read, yeah, that he, uh, JD Salinger, wrote this, like, kind of representing this, like, mm-hmm. group of men that came back from the war that were just inside, just kind of, like, wrecked and shattered. And, like, yeah, yeah got to understand, like, yeah. yeah, how close to despair somebody is at witnessing such things. Sure. And, like, but I guess, part not the total lesson, but, like, yeah, how, how little that reaching out really mm. took. Yeah. I mean... It takes just a little bit of kindness to make a big yeah, impact. Like yeah. everything matters in a way. Mm, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, World War One. you know, America had gone in, but they came in very late and yeah. came out very prosperous. And not that men of that time didn't experience PTSD, but World War Two was much more horrific in many ways. Yeah. And so, I mean, this was pre-Vietnam, but that was perhaps the first look America had had in a while about PTSD, mm-hmm. which wasn't even a term. Right. Um, I'm fairly certain was kind of, we were kind of discovered that after the war. So, so it's kind of like a, a social justice aside, if you will, like this yeah. is what people go through. But then there's the deeper life lesson of mm-hmm. good things matter. Innocence mm-hmm. really can mm-hmm. cause conversions, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And to do that in like the span of 15 yeah. minutes of 15 minute read. Yeah. Short stories are so hard to write, in my opinion. I yeah. mean, reading is is outstanding, but, you know, I've been asked to write a couple of short stories and I can't, I just like, how can I get all of this into just this? So so that's a special, a special art. So I know J.D. Salinger's written more than that. That's the only short story of his that I read, but okay. because I was so anti it before I was blown away by, mm-hmm. by the goodness in it. So, mm. so. 
Yeah. So, so you have some of your own short stories in your, your uh, repertoire? No, they're more like college college assignments. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. I mean, okay, I am writing some short stories, but I haven't <laughs> finished any of them because I don't know how to finish them because they're so hard to write. <laughs> okay. So I'm close on one of them, but it's, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a work okay, in progress. I'll, yeah. I'll remember that. Maybe TBC. We'll, okay. Yes. Future, future chats. Okay. Yes. Number three. The Power and the Glory Power by Graham Greene. Many people think that Brighton Rock is his best work, and I've read that one too. What I like about Graham Greene is you never know really what the moral is until the very last sentence of the book, and the very last sentence will say, wait a minute, and then you go back to earlier <laughs> in the book, and you're like, aha! Wow. That's, so every single thing of his I've read has done that, which is, again, I think hard to do. Mm-hmm. In context, when does he, when is he writing? So he's a contemporary of... C.S. Lewis and Evelyn Waugh, so he's like okay. British, 40s, 50s. I don't exactly remember when this was written, but the plot, so this takes place in the time of the persecution of the church in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so there's this priest who's on the run from the law being chased by this lieutenant or the boss or whatever, whatever his, I forget what exactly he's called, but when you first read the book, you're like, oh man, this is a priest and he's just going about doing his priestly thing and this is going to be a thriller to see if he survives. But then you realize that this priest, even though he is a legitimately ordained priest, is not a moral character in the least bit. He's an alcoholic. He has had relations with a wife and has a kid before the persecution. Mm -hmm. So just like not a very admirable character in the least. And so the more you read it, yes, it's about the story of is he going to survive, but then you see that there's always this struggle going on inside his mm-hmm. mind. Like he's so close to being caught so many times. And many times he says, I just wish that I would get caught because I deserve it. I just want to. Wow. But then the people keep sacrificing for him and they all know who he is and they all know what he's done, that he's an alcoholic, That he, but wow. the people still protect him. Like there's a point where he's like in this big crowd and the lieutenant's like, well, he's here somewhere. Who's going to turn him in? And the priest is inside. It's like, someone do it, someone do it, someone do it, someone do it. But no one does. And they all... They all stand tight. Well, you know, so the chase continues. Eventually, the priest is caught, and there's only one other priest in the area who has been forced to marry, but instead of, like, trying to be undercover, he goes along with it. So there's this priest who's in an obviously illegitimate marriage, and he refuses to go down to the jail because he thinks it's a trap, and then they'll get him. So he he decides to stay away and not even hear this priest confession. So the priest has to make an examination of conscience in a jail hell, in a jail cell by himself, um, and to make matters worse, the jailer's like, here's a flask of brandy, you know. And so, like, he tried to do it out of compassion, but he gave it to an alcoholic. Oh, no. And, and so, he's like, trying he's, so, to. Like, he's, uh, um, he's, like, drinking his brandy. Like, he's, like, succumbing to his addiction to alcohol as he's going through his examination of conscience. And then one of the sentences is like, man, it really wouldn't have been that hard to be a saint. Just a little more effort and a little more trying. I really could have been a saint. And then the perspective ends. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And like, it doesn't talk about his death. And then we switch perspectives. We go to someone else's perspective. Just because this is how Graham Greene works, I'm not going to be as spoiler-ish as I was about the other two. But we learn what happened to the priest. But then something happens at the end to another character, to another priest who's undercover that lets us know what we should think about the priest's salvation. Like, did it? Did wow. he reach heaven at the very end by the mercy wow. of God? Or did he succumb to his slavery of addiction? Wow. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Out of the three, that might be the top one that I might read. I don't know. I'm like, my heart's <laughs> racing a little bit. That would, yeah. In the in the story, is the author, is he teaching you what to think of this priest throughout? Is it is he teaching you like to have... Did you feel like I have compassion somehow for this 
um, this character or did you start to despise him? So or? definitely there was despising, but it was interesting in the way that he did it. Mm-hmm. Most of the book is written in the chaste priest perspective. Mm-hmm. And the priest himself doesn't think anything highly of himself. The priest is like, I am such a loser. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and so like you see all of the bad things he does, but you see that he feels sorry for it, but yeah. that he's enslaved to his vices. And so there's a sense of compassion that's developed, but it's also not the culpability isn't mm-hmm. excused. And it might be a hard book to read in this day and age, um, mm. just with the sex abuse scandal. Yeah. Um, in fact, it did receive some controversy because some were like, well, you're portraying priests in the wrong light and this is not respectful to the... So even, you know, bishops even yeah. came out against Graham Greene as like, you know, what? And Graham Greene was Catholic. He was a convert. Oh, wow. And so according to Graham Greene, it was in a pri- he had a private audience with Paul VI and Paul VI was like, you know what, this is a, this is a legitimate book, I understand what you did. So according to Graham Greene, uh, it received the uninfallible approval of Paul the <laughs> Six. <laughs> so well, hey, that's Paul the Six like it? I don't know. Well, that, I remind, reminded of um, when I was talking, I did a uh, sh- show with episode with my dad and mm-hmm. he said like, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody is susceptible to any number of things. So mm-hmm. we can't just assume, yeah, we pray to God that uh, mm-hmm. priests and religious and the Catholic lay faithful are mm-hmm. holy, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the struggle is yeah. like so real. Yeah, like like oof. just putting on the super suit or whatever, putting yeah. on the habit is not <laughs> the ticket to exactly. holiness. Yeah. Exactly, I was reminded of some of Singret Unset's writing and how okay. in one of the books I was reading the Acts, and I think Kristen Labenstadter, the trilogy that she wrote is similar. Okay. That like this, she understands like almost the anatomy of mm. temptation mm-hmm. and sin and addiction so well. Mm-hmm. I, t- I had to put down the book that I was reading just because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this person mm-hmm. knows they're in their struggle yeah. and they want to get out, but they feel so trapped and they feel so bad about themselves that they yeah. can't accept mercy and move on. Is that like a similar kind of motif yes, here? Yes, having, having not read any of those books, but based off your description, yeah. yes, like the uh, horribleness of the sin is not evaded. Yeah. The guilt is unexcused, but anyone who is sinning Ultimately, I mean, this is Christ's emotion. Ultimately, they mm. should be pitied. You know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. They knew they were doing something bad, yeah. uh, obviously. But just like when we sin, we are pathetic and pitiable. Mm. I mean, that's mercy is giving that which helps people not be miserable, mm. regardless of whether, I don't know, regardless, probably regardless. That's God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> regardless, in our, in our case, yeah. <laughs> regardless, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Because, I mean, ultimately, we don't like only thing that is our own is our sin. Yeah. So we don't deserve God's mercy, but it's there nonetheless. So it does a good job of showing how sin is pitiable and pathetic, but that God still extends his mercy and people still chase that mercy. Like there's something in us like we're yeah. that pathetic, but we know we're meant for something more than that yeah. patheticness. His hope somehow doesn't like dry up. Yes. Wow. Yes. Even when you think it has. Because mm. the priest wanted to give up so many times in the book, but... God didn't let him give up. Mm. So it's just like a ruthless wow. interior chase. You know, like when you kind of close a, a good book after you've read like the last line and you have this like mm. this feeling in your heart, like I, well, I felt it when I left the theaters the first time I saw the Lord of the Rings. So, mm. but also mm. applicable to books, but sure. like you leave and you're like, yeah, I can help conquer the world for good. You know, like that kind of feeling. Did you have something like that when you read this? I think think all three of them have something like that in common. Like I didn't have Mm -hmm. a concrete way in which I was going to do it. But with this, it's like, you know, I can mess it up pretty badly. Mm, Yeah. And God's mercy is still going to chase me. And 
like the priest was still saying mass. He was still ministering. So he was still executing his priestly functions, basically in the state of mortal sin. He was still, yeah. but those things did bring graces to other people. And that is made abundantly clear in the book. Mm. And so all things work for the glory of God in the end, even our sin. And so I think the power and the glory is unique in that a, a moral man, the good things that he did made a difference. Um, I don't know if you've ever wow. seen the movie Training Day. It's Denzel Washington. No. And some guy, it's basically about a corrupt cop that takes a rookie under his wing and takes this rookie through a lot of illegal activities to kind of like get him entrenched so he can't squeal on him. So this, you Ooh. know, well, if you do like this, Dirties if you do this. Hands. Yeah, so he, he blackmails his new rookie cop. He follows this corrupt Denzel Washington around and around and around. And the one thing, like at one point, Denzel Washington's character leaves him to at the mercy of a Latino gang. But the one thing that saves this undercover cop that's going along with everything that the corrupt cop did is he saved the Latino gang member's sister from being raped in the park earlier in the day. So like the one good thing he did all day, uh, oh, you saved my sister. Okay, just this once I'll let you go. And so that mercy that the Latino gang member showed him, wow. he goes up and he takes down the cop. Wow. No one learns what the cop did. The cop was lauded as a hero, but he takes out the cop. And mm. the cop can't continue to do the bad things that he's been doing. So it's like that one good thing, like made yeah. a difference. And so I got that with the power and the glory. I got that with for Esme with love and squalor. In a tale of two cities, it's the character is a little more likable, but the same thing happens. You have someone who doesn't think well of himself, but he does the right thing, and he gets joy even out of doing that. We often remember all the bad things that we've done, mm. mm-hmm. which examination of conscience, like sure. those are important, and we need to ask for the Lord's mercy, because yeah, it is his power and his glory at the end of the yes. day. That's all it is. But yeah, do we th- think and remember and honor his grace when like, wait, that moment I could have done, I could have made an op- the opposite choice, but I, by his grace, chose something good. Yeah. And you're saying like, hearing you say that, like, and that one choice, if that's the only good thing you did that day, mm-hmm. can... Yeah, God uses that. Yeah. 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 I think that's really beautiful. And it's hard to do that because sometimes you don't know that right. what you did was going to be so impactful. Yeah. Like Ooh. saying thank you to someone. Education was just not fun last year. Like being a teacher was not fun. So every time a student mm-hmm. said thank you, it was like, oh, I was like a breath of pressure. <laughs> so like, thank you for saying thank you. Like I didn't like gush over right. the student, but it was like, wow, that, that little thank you like made me happy for like two whole hours after that. It was like, it was just like a miserable yeah. year or whatever. But yeah, like that kid had no idea right. that he made my afternoon mm-hmm. or that. I was like angry at the world and then I stopped being angry because he said thank you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like it's hard to know the impact that yeah. you'll have. But we that's do. some beauty in that too, perhaps yeah. too. Yeah, definitely. Mystery. I mean, it should yeah, remain a mystery because yes. yeah, the struggle wouldn't be there to do it. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's kind of the why these three kind of like cuz I mean, you are well read as I hope most of the, our sisters are, but you I would consider your opinions pretty I, if I need a good book re- recommendation, oh, I often thank I will you. ask Sister Joan. Thank you. So like out of all of them, these three like came to the top. Yes. For a specific reason. And you said that you were surprised actually that these were your favorite ones. Yes. Right. <laughs> I, I was surprised at the genre. So normally when I want to read something for fun, which I don't do enough, but I usually <laughs> go for uh, fiction or dystopia or science fiction. So I'm like in the world of fantasy, Lord of the Rings, Narnia, mm-hmm. whatever. But all of these were historical fiction. And so... But I've also read historical fiction that's awful, like The Grapes of Wrath. Like, okay. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any John Steinbeck fans out there, but that, that <laughs> book is just, 
lame. <laughs> so lame. And so like maybe I just was turned off because I read some historical fiction that's not well done. Oh, wow. Do, okay. do I sound any, snobbish or do I sound snobbish? John Steinbeck fans out there, we'll have another, well, anyway, call us. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll, moving yeah. on. <laughs> moving on. But yeah, the, like these are, are well done. I think they understand human nature well is mm, probably, yeah. probably the best redeeming. So maybe this is a coincidence that they're historical fiction or I don't, I don't know, but they understand human, human nature like Humans aren't fundamentally, like they are fundamentally good, but it's not like you're a good guy or a bad guy. Like there's uh, so much complexity. Like I could have a very virtuous day to day or, mm-hmm. and then have, you know, three awful days where I'm very selfish for three days. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like people are complex, but they understand something of that complexity, mm-hmm. which gives you hope and drive to keep going through the complexity. Mm-hmm. So how would you say that the, these um, these narratives have like helped you or that you've like in your your walk with Jesus have like been brought back to maybe some of these like themes or lessons. Sure, sure. They kind of remind me of things that have happened in my own life, Mm. like things that I didn't think were significant at one time and then they were. So, I mean, out of all of them, A Tale of Two Cities is kind of like a martyr's tale. It's kind of like Kind of like Joan of Arc, not really, but like, I'm going to lay my life down for my country. I'm going to, so in the Tale of Two Cities, he lays his life down for a woman he loves that he's not married to. Mm. So it's like a pure love, a sacrificial love. So mm-hmm. there's that and that. But the last two for Esme with Love and Squalor and the power and the glory for Esme, that goodness will always take down darkness mm. or has the possibility to always take down darkness. Yeah. It's just a matter of do we let it? Mm. And that's the point of the power and the glory too. So for Esme, it's like goodness will always make an impact if we let it. And then the power and the glory says God can bring good out of anything. So always keep trying because Mm. if you keep trying, you're going to at least do something right. That seems a very dismal thing to say, but then it's in weakness that power reaches perfection as St. Paul says. And so I think the power and the glory really understands that concept a lot. So for Esme is the triumph of innocence and the power and the glory is the triumph of God's mercy through all the messiness that is humanity. Overall, like just like really encouraging. Yeah. I mean, it's a a struggle and a battle to to get there and to see it, but like. They're all battles that end well, mm -hmm. but to the surface, they don't look that way. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, The fight is real. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So straight from Sister Joan's mouth to the fate of your three most meaningful books. Yes. Uh, I presume you would recommend these to anybody? I would, yes. For reading? Um, maybe for Esme with Love and Squalor, just because of the language, maybe right. not for junior high kids, maybe you for you know juniors or seniors or mm-hmm. something like that. But And then also the power and the glory, like if someone has been a victim of something horrible, like especially right. sexual abuse, like that might not be the best read. Mm-hmm. Like there's might be some healing that needs to happen. But I mean, overall, anyone who is an adult, I would say, yeah. <laughs> pick these up and read it. And then maybe some, some mature kids too, I would mm-hmm. say. Any books you're reading right now or have recently been reading that you're like excited about that you would also yeah. throw in the recommendation? So don't do a lot of pleasure reading when school happens, which is unfortunate. But thankfully, there's this um, professional development opportunity where we read books that are contemporary and then we discuss them with other teachers and we get professional development points that we can put toward our license. So it's a great, it's collaboration and reading for pleasure and then licensure. So it's great. (laughs) We just read a graphic novel called, I think it's When Stars Are Scattered. And so Mm -hmm. graphic, it's basically a comic book that's a book for the listeners, but it's a story about a, I think it's a Somalian or a Sudanese refugee and his brother 
and it's their survival story, and they're trying to get to America, but they're in this refugee camp. And so that's a that's that sounds rather blasé, but you know, as the story unfolds, like you understand that the main character has gone through all of these horrific, horrible things mm-hmm. while going through adolescence and like the drama of, you know, middle schoolers and the drama of high schoolers and trying to get to America and take care of his brother who has a disability. And so at first it just seems like a survival story, but then it's just like, it's an actual story you learn at the end. It's not just a fictional story about a refugee. Like you actually learn about the author. He actually himself personally went through all of these things. And like when you're reading like the graphic novel, you're like, there's no way this could have happened to one person. Mm -hmm. But they're like, oh my gosh, no, this did happen to a person. And so on a kind of in a similar vein of these three stories, Mm -hmm. just like the power of perseverance, God will always provide for you Mm -hmm. not to give up. So that would be that would I definitely would recommend to okay. people of of any age that would be at all age appropriate thing. So when stars are scattered, I forget who the authors are, but there's two of them. There's the refugee and then like a professional author who co-authored it with him and helped help with the writing process a little bit. So wow. Victoria, someone I don't okay. remember the last name. Wow. So yeah, that would be a good contemporary read right. because, in my humble opinion, those contemporary reads are really hard to find that are really good. Keep right. Yeah. <laughs> Always a yeah. good recommendation. There's a lot helpful. of cash cows, things that sell for money, but there's not a lot of good literature yeah yeah like twilight like ooh, yeah sensationalism but awful literature yeah (laughs) so do not Uh, recommend that (laughs) just to be clear sister joan it's always a pleasure thank you this is fun for me as well uh i'm glad that i had some raspberry zinger tea for you this time around i love raspberries i would say it's my favorite fruit and so a fruit and you can put it in pretty much anything including tea and so (laughs) ice cream tea tomato tomato so Wow. So yes, thank you for your hospitality. Right. Sister Ignatia always has uh, something to brew for you, if only but you ask. That's right. Yes. Okay. Come by. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. I hope you like Religious Life as much as I do. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, contact us at our website, ssfpa.org. He leads, I follow. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.